Welcome back to He's Abroad. This is Jason here in Brooklyn, joined as always by John, who is abroad in New Zealand. What's going on, John? Hello. I am watching crazy videos of people getting coughed on in their Uber. An Uber driver's got a mask on. He tells his passenger to wear a mask. This very disrespectful woman starts to cough on him. The um, mandate's over. The mandate's over in a lot of yeah, states. Yeah, the pandemic so is over, right? We did it. It's over. We fixed it. Confidence is never is higher in the U.S. And a bunch of white people in Georgia don't want, a bunch of white conservatives in Georgia, according to their governor, don't want to get the vaccine. Yeah. Oh, Las Dude, Vegas. This, this I'm video gonna, from Las Vegas. Just I'm going to say this with sincerity. And it, there might be blowback, I know. But dude, fuck Trump. Like, <laughs> I know we're not in the. Uh, who's the, who's, the, the, who's going to give you blowback? I'm just I mean, saying. I loved I, his, you know, I love the thing that he released because because he can't tweet, so he releases like official documents yeah, now that memos, sound like tweets. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, fuck that guy because this asshole is like the reason why we're so fucked. And if he's not, and even if he's not the reason why we're why we're not why we're not fucked, he is. A large contributing factor to why it's going to take even longer to get unfucked because a bunch of his people are not getting the vaccine. That thing that I just said came out of Georgia and it's and they're just straight up admitting it. Like a lot of these anti-vaxxers are on the are, are his people, which is crazy. But that would have been the way they anyway. should be lining up to do it because yeah, he but, was the things yes. got created under his under his presidency but and that would have been, this asshole yeah. wouldn't even get on camera to show that he got the vaccine because he was too busy being a whiny bitch about the election so <laughs> but that would have been the case anyways though also, like, yeah, i'm not i think people will i think people do a lot of talking and blustering until their chance comes up to get the vaccine and then they're going to get the vaccine and they're just not going to tell anybody about it like I, I i i think cool i hope so i hope so you should have more hope for america now than i've seen in the last four and a half years there is of it's actually like Biden gets on TV and goes, hey, guys, here's how things are going. Let me update you. You know, we're hoping by May everyone's got a chance to get the vaccine. And then, you know, you only need 70 percent. Right. I think that's the number. You need 70 percent of the people to get vaccinated for you to start or heading toward sick. or get sick. To, I mean, emotions, yeah, we should get there pretty quick. Yeah, I think I think America, if anything, is going to be pretty. I would say if if I'm being optimistic by September, October, it's going to start looking kind of like it used to. Yeah, I, I look. Okay. I still think yeah. I still think this is the upswing. I was saying, I, how long have I been saying it that by April we're going to start getting into some form of normalcy? That's when we're going to start feeling that upswing. And I, I think I feel pretty good about my uh, about my prediction here. But there's some comments about that quote. So I was I was reading. Here's a quote that I was reading from, uh, you know, on Reddit. They're posting this stuff about uh, you know the politics stuff, which is like super left. I get it. But the, the headline is conservatives are furious. Biden delivered a non-insane presidential speech. And it says conservative publisher and pardoned criminal Conrad Black develops this line of thinking further. Black describes Biden's speech as a complete and total failure. And to show that he really means complete and total, he includes Biden's lack of girth. Quote, nor is the president's appearance reassuring. He has a sickly pallor, is underweight and quavers at times. Trump, who looks like Tarzan in comparison. <laughs> these are the these are the people. These are the people. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm more I'm more optimistic. But still, at the same time, it's like I I, I really wanted to get to this. Do you think that? What do you What do you think? Do you think that he's not? He didn't want to show himself getting the uh, vaccine because he didn't want to show people his full arm. <laughs> 
No, I, I just think he's, like you said, he's a pouty crybaby at this point. So he just, you know, he wants to say, oh, well, thank me for getting the vaccine. But he's just sort of, he's always been that way. He tells people one thing, but then he does a different thing, right? The virus is fake. He catches it. What does he do? He gets the best medical care that that money could probably buy. It's just who he is. It's just how he works, right? Like he's very secretly, oh, I don't want to give anyone the impression about this. So I'm going to do stuff secrecy. This is why you couldn't trust him as president because he wasn't able to honestly tell you anything because all of this stuff was about, I'm stronger than you. I'm, I'm an alpha male. I can't let you see that I need a vaccine to stay healthy. I'm just healthy because I'm me, right? Like it's that type of crap that Trump's been pushing for years. Yeah, so, true. Well, anyway, let's not let's not get go down that rabbit hole, even though I started it. So you did start it. I did. Um, food update. I told you I got a waffle iron. So making waffles. I made so I made I made uh, some waffles. The first run was pretty good. I, I turned my patented, copyrighted, self-created matcha mochi pancake batter. And I, uh, I added a couple, I added a little bit of vegetable oil to that mix and, uh, made myself some matcha mochi waffles and, uh, they were delicious. They were very, very good. Um, so first run was pretty good. I highly recommend this thing. It's like the presto flip. I think that's what it's called. I wanted a, wanted a waffle maker with some flipping action. I feel like you put it in there, then you rotate it and it flips. No, cause you don't, it it basically, it's kind of cool because it's not like the traditional waffle iron where you where it's kind of on this swivel that that kind of rotates in you know suspended in a way i don't know how to explain it instead it's like it rests on the table and then you flip it 180 degrees to the other side of its pivot point you know you hmm. see what i'm saying yeah okay i mean sort of yeah so it's not like you're not spinning it you're literally flipping the thing side to side right okay huh um it's pretty good it's called the presto flip i think flip waffle i'm sure if you search presto flip waffle and you'll find it um but i recommend it it wasn't expensive it was like 40 bucks for the thing and i wanted the thing was like i was reading these reviews of all the waffle makers and they were like this makes great thin waffles I'm like i don't want thin waffles i want i want meaty thick thick belgian waffles i'm not messing around i'm not trying to make egos here okay i'm looking to make real waffles Wow, egos. I've not heard the word ego in seven years. They're good. How weird. Huh. They're tasty. Now now I've got the urge for a waffle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to tell you something. If you could get this maker and uh I, I can don't give need you my to make waffles though. That's the I just kinda want someone to give me one. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't need to make them forever. I just kinda wanna eat a waffle and then be done and then forget about waffles. Well, I'll be making waffles again tomorrow. Um, I made, I already made the batter. I'm trying to make it's uh, Vietnamese pandan waffles. And you might be saying like savory waffles. No, mm, no, okay. it's still very much sweet. There's a lot of, there's a lot of damn sugar in this stuff. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how this is going to turn out. Cause I made that batter and they're like, make the batter, let it rest for at least an hour overnight's better. I'm like, all right, cool. So it's in the refrigerator. It's overnight, but that, that the batter is like really loose. So I don't really know how this is going to turn out at all, to be perfectly mm. honest. Uh, my expectations are super low, but if this stuff thickens up, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but I, I usually like a uh, like a thicker batter. It's just easier to work with, both when I'm making pancakes or really anything. One stinks to get too uh, viscose. Is that a word? Viscous. 
Viscous. Yeah. Things get too viscous, I guess. Viscosity, you know, obtaining more viscosity than desirable. Okay. Yeah. So if it becomes too viscous, then it just becomes unwieldy, you know? So we'll see how it goes. I'll give an update on that next week. But Pandan is a, um, it's like this green leaf. It's like a leaf. Um, And this extract you get from the leaf. So I have no idea what it's going to taste like, but it was just a new thing to try. I was tipped off to that this existed. Then I found a recipe for it and now I'm going to make it. So I will keep you posted on that. What was weird was most of the powder, most of the dry ingredient was actually tapioca starch. And uh, yeah. Yeah, because that helps to thicken stuff up. I guess, but this stuff was not thick at all. So Hmm. Because yeah, tapioca maybe starch. Just if you want time. a bit of chewiness to something, that's a good additive. It, it makes right, it but that chewy. was the point of it. Also has the sweet rice flour, which would be mm. used to make that that mochi like texture, and it's got regular flour, and then it's got equal portion of both of those. So it's got a half cup of those two, and then one cup of that of the tapioca starch. So okay, again, I'll keep you posted. I'm, I'm if I sound skeptical, it's because I am highly skeptical. Right. But you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, what's going on with you? Anything exciting? New? No, busy. Busy at work. Um, anything exciting happen? Oh, we got a uh, we got a hot tub. <laughs> oh, happened. I saw the picture. I saw the picture yeah, that so we got uh, a hot tub. on Instagram. It was between redoing the bathroom and buying a hot tub. And because I don't take a lot of baths, I didn't want to spend a bunch of money to redo a bathroom. So we got a hot tub. Cool. And uh, like yeah, I'm not a giant hot tub person, but uh, yeah. It's over there bubbling away. So that's pretty much the only exciting. I mean, that's how you know you're getting old. It's uh, yeah, you buy stuff and that makes you uh, that's like, yeah, that's the exciting news for the week. And obviously watching lots of Married at First Sight, which we talk about on another episode with a special guest. So buckle up, buckle up for that. Cool. Well, then let's uh, without further ado, let's jump yeah. to some news here. I got two stories. All right. First story. All right. So your choices are the moon and NFTs, because uh, I I need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> let's do the moon first and then let's do NFTs. Good call. All right. Are you excited to talk about NFTs or you, you don't want to? You're like, oh, no, I'm, ha- I'm not necessarily excited to talk about the moon. It's funny because my friend. No, Mason, the NFT stuff. I meant the, the you had a reaction for the NFT stuff. No, I'm happy to talk about NFTs. I, I'm. It's funny because it's really interesting because I actually think, and my friend Mason, listener to the podcast, player of Ghost of Tsushima with the two of us. Ghost dogs. He thinks I hate space. Mm. And you know what? I kind of think I do. <laughs> well, I'm not fascinated. Space doesn't fascinate me. I actually don't care much about like space and so It does, for whatever reason, it doesn't do much for me. And so when we were talking about, I think it was last week, right? We were talking space about the hotel. ocean and stuff in space. Yeah. So I don't like, and I guess I don't like is a strong word. I'm just not fascinated by what's going on in space. So yeah, the moon. Let's talk about it. Well, good news. This is coming. This is uh, this is more like what's happening here. Scientists reading from the New York Post again for their brevity, as I always say. Scientists want to send 6.7 million sperm samples to the moon. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I didn't read this article. I just read the headline. I'm like, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, 
Scientists have begun to lay plans for repopulation, starting with a sperm bank on the moon. In what they're calling a, quote, modern global insurance policy, end quote, mechanical engineers have proposed that human, humans establish a repository of reproductive cells, sperm and ova, from 6.7 million of Earth species, including humans. And the proposed bank of Ar- or ARC would be, would be beneath the moon's surface. Our planet faces natural disasters, drought, asteroids, and the potential for nuclear war, to name a few troubles. Scientists say that humans must set their sights on on space travel to preserve life as we know it. Quote, Mm. Earth is naturally a volatile environment, end quote, said said study author Jikan, J-E-K-A-N. How would you say that? Jikan. Jikan. Jikan Thanga. T-H-A-N-G-A. Thanga? Anyway. Whose team at the <laughs> Thanga, <laughs> whose team at the University of Arizona submitted their report, quote, lunar pits and lava tubes for a modern arc, end quote, at the annual Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Aerospace Conference on Saturday. Due to the planet's inability, he said, due to the planet's instability, he said, an Earth-based repository would leave specimens vulnerable. As such, Thanga proposed jumpstarting a planetary exodus of sorts by founding a human seed vault on the moon as soon as possible. It would store reproductive cells in it would serve reproductive cells in a recently discovered lunar pit from from which scientists believe lava once flowed billions of years ago. The so-called arc, according to according to Thanga's presentation, would then cryogenically preserve various species in the event of global disaster. Quote we can still save them until the tech advances to to until the tech advances to then reintroduces these species in in other words save them for another day and quote he said yeah that's one way to put it the pits also also are the perfect size for cell storage according to thanga they go down 80 to 100 meters underground and provide ready-made shelter from the surface of the moon which endures major temperature swings as well as threats from meteorites and radiation Thanga said that many plants and animals are seriously endangered and cites the eruption of Indonesia's Mount Toba 75,000 years ago Excuse me, as a reason to worry, saying it caused a 1,000-year cooling period and, according to some, aligns with an estimated drop in human diversity. He sees a current-day parallel due to human activity and other factors that we fully don't understand, he said, adding that already there's been there's been rapid loss over the last over the last few decades. The ARC concept is already being employed at the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, gross, housing plant seeds. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Thanks. The, the way they write this, the ARC concept is already being employed at the Seed Vault, housing plant seeds, that is. That's how they write it. Yeah. That, you know what, though? Uh, but that Seed Vault is actually super cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever watched a video on that, but like how they're saving, like even when, and it's good because they're actually able to use that with like when there's a, when there's like a giant issue with um, like, let's say you're growing a certain type of corn and then a dry spell happens or there's some type of danger to the environment. They're actually using these seed banks to like regrow crops and stuff. It's actually pretty cool. So oh, that's anyways, cool. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the, uh, where is it? It's like in this winter like in the south it's like in the the south pole i think or somewhere crazy where is that seed ball or maybe it's the north pole 
Um, huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, on the oh here we go on the Norwegian yeah. island of Spitsbergen in yeah, the so Arctic it's Circle. Svalbard Global Seed Fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Where scientists say the massive stone structure can endure undisturbed by humans or the elements. There are over nine nine hundred ninety two thousand unique samples, which each containing an average of five hundred seeds. Thank yeah. it. What a, what a crazy adds, uh, idea. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Thanga adds that he was surprised by how cost effective the mission could be. According to his back of an envelope estimate to transport 50 samples of each species, 6.7 million target would take 250 rocket launches. By comparison, 40 launches were required to build the International Space Station, which sits in low Earth orbit, far closer than the moon. Quote, it's not crazy big, Thanga insisted, quote, we were a little bit surprised about that. End quote. What do you think? Send its sperm to the moon. I mean, again, like why to the moon? Why not build what they built for the seed vault here? I don't know. There's like a whole. Um, actually, I'll send you this article because there's actually he, he, there's like a diagram here as well of uh, of how this thing will work. Seems yeah, I would sense. be afraid to send any type of DNA somewhere and then they start to clone you. Like I'm good. Like, let me die in peace. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, and this might be a spoiler, so apologies if anybody was going to play it, but near Automata, I'm pretty sure this was the premise behind <laughs> a lot of that game. Huh. So I think this dude just played that game, smoked weed, and then wrote up this paper. Yeah. Because, well, what happens? Okay, so 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 walk me through this, right? Like, well, better yet, let me let me reverse the tables. We're we're on Mars, right? Right now, we just we just dropped that uh, rover on Mars. Yep. What if we come across a vault of a bunch of like random ass sperm from all these species we've never heard of? I mean, would you even know that's what it is if you're a random that, species? That's a great you question. You walk into this thing and it's like got a bunch of writing on that, like a bunch of a bunch of ape scribbles on it that you're just like, I don't know what this means. Yeah, because I mean, what do you do? I mean, look, like I mean, I'm going to say something that sounds gross, but. When you come in, like, let's say you go to the moon and you see this big giant vault and you're some alien species yep. and you find a way to get it open. And then you see all these samples that have some type of liquid in them and you're kind of moving them around. What's your first inclination? What do you do? That's what I'm wondering, because I, I my scenario is we're we're dead, right? Everybody's dead. In- extinction event, right? And there's nothing on earth humans are gone and the only thing that remains are these jars of sperm yeah in on the moon (laughs) and this big vault right as long as the earth doesn't implode into a million little pieces so does this vault right this This is this is the argument for like where does life begin and end right because yeah is is humanity still carried on in that little vault there or is you have it to wait for humanity to come back and then for them someone, to find the vault? Someone's got to figure out how to turn those things into people, and then the question is, why would they? <laughs> are you gonna leave? Are you gonna leave like instructions? Like, how do you be like, hey, so and who's gonna, gonna be able to read them? Yeah, again, I think this is one of those things where at least seeds with the ground, right? Like, it's one of those things that you can like taste if you're an alien or put in the ground and watch it pop up somewhere. I mean, they might right? taste just, this first, and then that'd be jokes oh. on them. <laughs> Is that your first inclination when you see a vault full of liquid? Just to sort no, of. No, why would they eat the seeds first? Give it a, why would that be a, the first inclination there? 
just giving a giving a sniff and giving it a little yeah. taste because I'm assuming where they come from, they've got some type of if you're smart like other enough living if, organism, right? Like some type of you're smart enough organism. and on that expedition that brings you over to this to this vault of stuff, you'd probably undergo some sort of analysis to be like, what is this? Yeah. Or whatever robot you sent out there to check it out. They'd pick it up and they'd they'd give it the old shakeroo. That's what you'd start with, right? You'd pick one up, you'd give it a little shake, you'd be like, huh, interesting. Make sure nothing jumps out of the vial. It's like starts eat eating your insides. Yeah. Hmm. It, it's fascinating. I, I don't know why this would be on the moon, but I guess because the moon's like just as at risk of getting hit by asteroids yes. and stuff that yep. and if not higher because it doesn't have the atmosphere yeah um, i would say it's you're a smaller a, target yeah. i guess so that's good yeah smaller target but also you know if the moon blows up we're screwed too right so and i'm pretty sure that if the earth blows up the moon's screwed so we would just uh, all have yeah. to die off which means there's still some type of life form on earth so if you landed on earth first and saw how life sort of grows maybe you'll be able to figure out how to grow people i don't know Sounds um, sounds a bit Weird. impractical. It sounds strange. I really think this just this dude just played near. Um, I also thought that they've didn't they do this with other um in on the uh, on like some satellites or something. There's some there's some DNA floating around with some people. Maybe, but yeah, I think if we're dumb enough to destroy the Earth, why would we want to bring us back? Who says we destroyed it? Yeah, I guess unless something. I mean, we're, we're headed there. Also, right? if, like, if the extinction event is, let's say, we don't destroy ourselves. Let's say we don't get hit by an asteroid in a few billion years or so, the sun's going to explode. Then what happens? <laughs> yeah, then everything freezes over, and so does your. You no, know. it doesn't freeze over. It just gets lost into fiery dust. Oh, if the, yeah. If it blows like up, when, a, yeah, when a nova, gets, when the nova, yeah, happens. first it gets blasted into fiery dust, and then it gets super cold. So if you don't die from the heat, you'll die from the freezing cold when the sun no longer exists. Well, I was just wondering about these samples at this point. The well, assumption fry is that we're gone. Yeah, so if they last that nobody, long, how strong nobody, of a case are you building? Nobody's surviving a nova. Like, that just doesn't happen, or a supernova. I don't think the sun would explode I mean, I into a supernova. Yeah, I don't think you should have survived that event either, but, you know, maybe by then we'll uh, we'll be able to prepare for it. Uh, look, we all work from home in a matter of days, right? <laughs> So, <laughs> same difference. It's yeah, same thing. Economies right? of scale. Economies of exactly. Scale. Yeah, we can all now do work from our house, and uh, I'm sure we can. If someone said, "Hey, the sun's going to blow up in five days," I bet you someone would find a solution. All right, it's a great motivator, enough. isn't it? Death's a great motivator. Yeah, I think it would be anarchy. Sun's going to blow up in five days. What do you do? What do I do? Yeah, what do you do? I mean, nothing. You see, <laughs> like, like, what else? What, like, what are you going to do? Do, like do start you digging join, a hole for a bunker? Like if do you, the sun blows do you up, even do you even join that first call at work the next morning? <laughs> no, heck no. I mean, maybe just to get an idea, see if someone else has a smart idea. You never know. I work with pretty smart people. <laughs> One of these guys might be like, "I've been preparing for this, and here's the math. Let's do it." And I'd be like, "All right, cool. Let's do it. I'm down with that." Yeah. So you never know. I work with some. I work with a few guys that maybe are smart enough to uh, to actually have a solution for this. You know, there's. A couple of people recently at work who have uh, disappeared because apparently they invested heavily in Bitcoin ten years ago. So, wow, well, yeah. good for them. Yeah, good for Happens. them. Anyway, let's uh, 
Segway. Come on now. I'm feeding you a Segway. We're talking about cryptocurrency, baby. Let's get yeah. to it. Sort of. Oh, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Because this is built on Ethereum. All right. Let's talk about some NFTs. Here we go. So um, this is a this seemed like a good summary article. It's not the longest one in the world, but it's long enough. So just bear with me. The So this is reading from the Washington Post. What is an NFT? And how did an artist called Beeple sell one for $69 million at Christie's? Yeah, Beeple's a famous artist. Mm-hmm. I follow him on Instagram. I was just like, this guy's a Beeple, this guy's Beeple dash guy. crap, I believe, is the website. Underscore. Beeple. Underscore crap is on is uh, Instagram, I think. Yeah, he does some really fucked up stuff. He just, does, he just does CG stuff, right? Yeah, he puts some boobs on Trump and Buzz Lightyear and uh, Mario and Pikachu, like, He's a weird dude. This like, a good form. He's got a bunch of art. loops and stuff that are super colorful and very cool. You know, I would yeah. love to be able to do this. Like, this is the stuff I would do if I didn't have a job. <laughs> I mean, you. This could have been you. You could still do it now. I could. Uh, maybe I am people. You're not though. I've seen him. You know he's, that uh, he's he's much he's white. Pseudonym. You never know. Fake name. I, I've got a guy out there to do this for me, and then I do it and send it to him. You know, white always sells better. Well. Is that, is that true? Uh, I would assume so, right? I think that's a safe assumption to make. If I said, if you got a chance to put a white guy or a black guy out in front of your CG art, what's going to sell better? I would take the white guy, probably. 2021? Just, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. Maybe. I mean, look, we canceled Pepe Le Pew, so maybe not. Maybe we're, maybe we're turning a leaf. Well, Pepe Le Pew is black and white, so I don't know what that yeah, means. There you go. Look at that. Best of both worlds. Not bad. <laughs> All right, let's move on. What is an <laughs> NFT and how did... Anyway, the thing I just said. All NFTs. Right. On Thursday, I'm going to skip this whole intro thing and just jump to the questions. What is an NFT? An NFT is a type of digital crypto asset. Do you know what NFT stands for? Yes, non-fungible token. That's what it stands for. Yeah. I wonder if it actually said this at the beginning of the article... They didn't even start by explaining that part. Anyway, it, it basically means it's a unique, it's a unique token. Yes. It's really the best way to explain it. So UT was probably taken. An NFT is a type of digital crypto asset. They represent a specific vi- version of any digital file, whether it's a song, video game, or a simple image. Using the same technology that Bitcoin uses, people can mint NFTs, creating a record of ownership that's spread across thousands of computers around the world that cannot be changed by anyone except the owner. It's a way of turning a digital file into something that can be bought and sold like a physical object. NFTs are not tangible. You can't hold them or touch them unless, of course, you decide to print a copy of one like you might print out an art image. The knowledge in the owner's mind that they own the original or real version of the digital file is what makes them valuable. NFTs are traded on digital marketplaces, but unlike Bitcoin or other fungible tokens, they are individually all unique. They're not money, but rather unique assets. Why are people so interested in NFTs now? NFTs have been around for a few years. In 2017, a Canadian company called Dapper Labs released a game called CryptoKitties, in which players could buy and trade one-of-a-kind animated cats on a blockchain ledger. CryptoKitties attracted investment from top venture capital firms like Andreessen Horowitz, and a few of the cats have sold for more than $100,000. But the party really got started last year, 
when the huge rally in Bitcoin prices grabbed millions of people's attention and spawned a wave of interest in anything to do with the blockchain. The price of a single Bitcoin has ballooned from around $7,000 at the beginning of 2020 to nearly $56,000 today. Apps such as Coinbase that make it easier for non-tech savvy people to buy the asset, along with big institutional investors like Goldman Sachs and companies such as Tesla jumping in too, have pushed prices higher and higher. In October, the National Basketball Association partnered with Dapper Labs to start selling clips and images of famous basketball players as NFTs. By the end It'd of February, shot, right? By the, I don't know, maybe. That, by that's the what end, it's called. It's called NBA okay. Top Shot. Yep. Cool. By the end of February, they had made more than $230 million. Yep. Artists also got in on it with a copy of famous internet creature Neon, Neon. How do you? I never actually said that out loud. Neon Cat? Yeah, I think so. Neon Cat selling for $600,000 in mid February. That helped set the stage for the Beeple auction. For, for, Reference the the Nian cat is a gif, yes, of a of like a pixel cat with a like flying a rainbow. on a rainbow. Yeah, yes. exactly. And that and you could literally right click save gif and then you have it too, but you don't own it. I guess. <clears throat> anyway, that helps help the stage for the people option. NFTs are for many just another way to speculate on the rise of digital of digital currencies in general, as their adaption is normalized. Others join in and interest increases. Joe, oh boy, here we go. Guagliardo, we'll say that's right. A technology and blockchain partner at Troutman Pepper Law Firm said NFTs increase and decrease in value in much of the same way as a physical asset. Quote, it's no different in the digital world. I think there's probably a premium because there's a novelty to it. It's new. And he said, quote, but I don't know but I don't know that you can say that there's any more or less irrationality to it than any collectible, end quote. What do you do with an NFT? Probably the same thing you would do with a beloved collectible baseball card. Treasure it. The assets have become a sort of internet savvy status symbol and are attracting certain brand of techie celebrity. Twitter chief executive Jack Dorsey is selling his first ever tweet as an NFT now on a platform called Valuables. The tweet from March 21st, 2006 reads, quote, just setting up my Twitter with no E, end quote. The bid to own its blockchain minted copy is up to $2.5 million. The singer Grimes has also gotten into the NFT game. The artist sold a number of her digital artworks for about $6 million total on Nifty Gateway, a marketplace for NFTs. The rock band Kings of Leon sold their latest album as an NFT too, netting a two million, netting two million dollars. That's I can't, I just don't understand. <laughs> but we'll get into that in a bit. Is there a downside to this craze? Like everything dealing with the blockchain, there are environmental concerns with the boom and popularity of NFTs because of the amount of computing processes involved in blockchain. Experts told the Washington Post in 2017 that Bitcoin used as much as one to four gigawatts of electricity, or about the same as one to three nuclear reactors. Wired reported this month that Ethereum's developers are planning to adopt a form of processing transactions that is less carbon intensive. Proof of stake is is what it's called. It's Hmm? proof of stake. That new technology is called proof of stake. So to explain you a bit, proof of work is what Bitcoin and Ethereum currently work on, which means you need to solve 
math equations and problems in order to prove that you are a legitimate member of or, or a legitimate holder of the ledger of the blockchain, right? In order for you to make more coins. So that's what mining is, right? So Bitcoin mining, Ethereum mining is you have a bunch of graphics cards and a bunch of heavy you know, computing that solves these problems that then mints new coins to go, yep, you've solved enough of these things that says you are allowed to make a new coin or that you have now generated a new coin because you've done the work, right? Mm-hmm. That's proof of work. Proof of Got stake it. is what Ethereum needs to move to in order for it to be more scalable and more um, eco-friendly, so it doesn't use as much power and you don't need computers and machines, it's proof of what you own into the blockchain. So I've got this much and people can come in and stake their coins into saying, hey, I vouch for this for this you know, group or I vouch for this machine that is asking to mint new coins and you sort of show your proof of stake by being part of it. That's what that new eco-friendly solution is. It's called proof of stake. Got it. Cool. Is so. There's two more sections here. We're yep. we're at the end here. Uh, is this anything other than a speculative craze? It's hard to say. The massive amount of money going into NFTs right now are surely part of the broader bull market and demand for finding new and weirder assets in which to invest. But proponents say the interest in NFTs shows that they have long-term value. They help solve the problem of ownership when it comes to digital artwork and are clearly helping artists who don't work with physical materials to track excuse me, to track the sale of their pieces and therefore make more money. It's also important to note that the buyer is someone from within the crypto investment community who directly stands to benefit from the growing interest in blockchain and NFTs. If the buyer was an outsider, like a traditional art collector or venture capitalist, it would have signaled that the trend was getting real traction outside of the blockchain community. Either way, just like the dizzying rally in Bitcoin prices, NFTs show that cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology are more than just nerdy fads. So the last one, should I buy one? Sure, if you have the cash or cryptocurrency. You find something meaningful to you, you find something and you, bleh. Sure, if you have the cash and find something meaningful to you. Like any hot trend, NFTs could become a staple of society for years or could slowly be forgotten like the digital photo you took on your trip to San Diego during your senior year in high school that remains stashed in a folder on your dead MacBook. That was a pretty good article because it just kind yep. of lays it, it out. Explained everything a lot. as it is. To some of those details as I explained of like how the actual technology works. But yeah, that's it pretty much sums up not, why it's usable. Yeah, and it doesn't have the air of snark that like the yes. Verge article had. So this, yeah. this is a pretty good straightforward, down the middle, non-biased, good work, Washington Post. All right, let's talk about this shit. Yes. Because this is crazy. Like, well, let me ask you this question. Let me let me go to that Kings of Leon thing, because that that's kind of the biggest that that's the one that made me raise my eyebrows because the the Kings of Leon, it said they sold their album for two million dollars, right? Two point. uh, Yeah. So it said two million dollars, I think. Where the fuck was this? It was just there. Kings, really? Kings of Leon. There you go. Yeah. So if they said net two million dollars, so their latest album as an NFT. Does that mean they sold the rights to their album? So that means the person who bought that album now owns the rights to the Kings of Leon album. 
for two million dollars. Own they own the copy of the album that they have minted for that, right? So the copy of the album that actually has the file that has this token attached to it is what they've sold. Now this is where it gets interesting because as far as rights as a legal sense, right, as what we do in our regular outside of the digital world. What gives you rights to one thing over the other, right? Like you said, right? You can copy it and you can have the GIF. But what allows, like, what are the actual rights of this now? Does NFT change how that works? If you have an NFT, do you own legal right to this? And can you sue right. people if they make copies of it? That's where we are. We're unknown territory for that. Because right now, you can mint, you know, Kings of Leon can mint a thousand of these albums, really and sell them and it's up to the buyer to decide what they want to pay for it but in this case right they had one album that was sold as a non-fungible token and someone paid two million dollars worth of cryptocurrency for that album that's what they've done but the album i could but that's what's so wild about this is that the album is worth you know at this point most people stream their music so you don't even need to you, you would whatever chunk of that ten dollar subscription is so this or, is where i think most nothing. people are struggling this is where everyone is struggling of saying yeah it's digital i can listen to the album i can download the album i can rip I it from someone else's CD. right i can I buy, buy the, the cd and rip it and make it digital so what exactly am i paying for why would i pay for this right and it is separating the idea of the specific ownership of what's been minted in its value and the actual content itself. So you've got to separate this. So like, for example, the best way to explain this is sort of like sports cards, right? Because I can have a Hank Aaron rookie card that goes up and down with whatever the value that someone is willing to pay for that rookie card, right? Mm-hmm. But you could say, well, I can just scan the rookie card or I can reprint the card, right? I can go through a bit of work. And sure, digital is a little easier, but I can go through a bit of work and recreate this card exactly so I have what I care about, which is the actual tangible thing in my hand, right? But does that still make it worth what someone is willing to pay for this specific version of this card? And it's the same thing with NFTs, right? Because someone who is on a marketplace that has and sells NFTs through the Ethereum blockchain, through the Ethereum network, I want that specific one that also I can track the history of that goes, well, who minted this? Okay, there's a group that says, hey, this was actually minted by the band or the management company from Kings of Leon, right? So the fact that you can track this and where this come from, where this comes from is actually what makes it valuable. Because you can print a thousand NFTs of Kings of Leon's album and sell them, but that's up for a buyer to decide, right? A buyer can decide, hey, Jason's version of the Kings Leon album that he ripped and signed in a non-fungible token to is worth 10 bucks to me. It might be, or might be worth zero, right? So that's where this comes in and why it's interesting is because it's interesting from the side of the creators. If you can validate that you are the creator and the owner of this work and someone is willing to pay for the fact that you personally as the creator has minted x amount of copies of these or they have minted the order of these right because you can see the time of when these were minted so you can say i get the very first one version one is going to be worth more than maybe version 30 million right so then that's where the collectible part of this comes in because it's trackable because it's traceable and because you can see where this was minted and created from that's where your value comes from yeah I I guess separate I separate the that content part. separate the content from the idea of the collectible of it. 
Right. So I guess I guess the best way to the best analogy to this, right? I I have ten rare widgets, right? Yes. Yep. And each one of them is numbered one through ten. Yep. And those are unique in the fact that they are these ten things that have only been produced. Um, but and they're also physically numbered one through 10. So it's not yep, so much documented as one through 10. Yep. So it's the, so it's really what the NFT is doing is putting that one through 10 on a, but it's also, asset. it's that specific one, right? Cause you might re-release but that the same reason, exact thing, right? Yeah. As like what, the equivalent of an art print, right? Like you can buy exactly but I'm, what I'm work, trying to right? do. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is, is rationalize this, this case for why somebody would do this. Why why would what is actually being seen as the value here? Because the difference is if I have a physical object, right? And I and I number it 1 through 10. And I know that there's a rarity. The scarcity is proven because there is only one there's only 10 physical objects or better yet, there's only one of that physical object with the number one on it. There's only one of that physical object with the number two on it. So in that, they differentiate from those physical features that they have. The actual, there is an actual thing that is different for those things in how you, in what is actually being presented as a thing. If I'm buying an album, right? And I bought that thing because it had a number one tag to it on the NFT. And I'm listening to that thing. It's the same exact listening experience that I would get if I was to stream it, or better yet, if I was to buy the the physical copy. You know, if you're gonna compare audio, but but regardless, it doesn't make a difference, right? However, you're however you're digesting it, how you're digesting it. But but I can get that thing. And the only difference is this kind of is this digital one on it, right? This digital attribute that kind of stamps it. As no, this it's the is digital this history of it. It's the, because again, it's it's more than right. just the number. But, uh, it's but the, actual the actual history of tracking it. Yeah. But the actual asset itself is literally indistinguishable. So that's the problem. Because again, I would and say that, the same and thing. That's, with, that's where I struggle. With. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, right? Like, what's what, what does a stock mean to you? Like, what's the value of a stock, really? Oh, right? that's someone. Like, yeah, someone that's... releases a stock and says, "Hey, this stock is worth sixty cents," mm-hmm. and there's X amount of shares. Right? There's a hundred and thirty million shares of this thing. Like, what are you getting out of that? Like, do you you own part of the company? But what does that mean? Like, what's the tangible thing I'm holding by buying this thing that says I own one one hundredth of a million of a stock that I've paid X amount of dollars for? Right? Sorry, the. It's a little. It's a little different. It's not really because it's the. And again, if you think about this as in you are speculating a collectible in hopes that it rises in price, right? That's not. That's not the part of it. That's no. But 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 that's my point though. Is that that's what most people are doing, and it just happens to be right now attached to digital art and digital content. What makes this interesting is content is the easiest thing to attach an NFT to. What if you attach an NFT to almost anything that makes it a unique and verifiable thing that you can own? Like, what if you give NFTs for tickets to a sporting event? Instead of actually a ticket, you have a trackable, traceable origin of where this number comes from that can't be duplicated, can't be replicated, can't be faked, 
that you can verify. Like that's the true power of NFTs. What about what about your actual identity? Right? You can't fake an identity if you actually every person gets attached a non-fungible token that is attached that the history comes through of how this passed through the blockchain, right? If this thing has been passed on, it's very easy to see that, hey, this is fake. Or this isn't genuine, or this isn't real, or this didn't come from the where the place that you said came from. And that's the true power of NFTs. It just happens to right now be attached to content because content is the one thing, and digital content is the one thing that's been very hard to assign a value to, right? Someone makes a really awesome digital painting on Photoshop. What's the value of that when I can duplicate it a million times? It's not unique. There's not a tangible thing that I can print and say someone layered oil paint over this for the last 100 years, right? But it's still art. It's still valuable. Same thing with music, right? Like, hey, you used to have to hold a record or an A-track or a CD or a tape. And now it's all streamed, right? So what's the value of the music? Is it just the content in it? Or is it actual, hey, I owned X amount of CDs? I own the hard physical copy of the CD that's super hard to find anymore. Or is it the actual content? So digitally, content's been a hard thing to assign a value to. And what we're doing with NFTs is that we're now able to assign a value to it. Now, is that value insane right now? Absolutely. But when this actually settles and becomes more of a normal way of marketing and doing business, it's a great way to actually add value and verification to what you're selling and to what you're doing that's digital that you haven't been able to assign value to. Like you're saying before, you're saying, well, what stopped me from, from duplicating this thing a million times? It's not valuable to me because I can just copy it. Right. But now there is value. Even if you think that value is stupid and it's not something tangible, it has a value to it because it's got a uniqueness to it. It's got a unique ID and hash key to it that says this digital 3D circling painting now actually has a value to it because it can't be this one, this one, that hash can't be duplicated and replicated. The content can, but the actual attachment to the value can't. And that's why it's cool. Yeah. And I guess for things in the future, I guess I could see, you know, you're, you're making a good case of what they can be used for in, in the future and how they can be more practical. But for what it is now, it's like you could theoretically, like who was the guy that a that applied the NFT to the Neon Cat. The guy that created, I think the one that got sold was the guy that actually, that, that created. It was the guy who actually created it. it. Yeah. 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 But anybody could have done that first. Anyone create a value, but anyone can create it. But the question is when you look at that and say, Oh, well, there's another one who created this one. Right. And that's why it's kind of wild west right now, because right now there's not really a necessarily good way from stopping me from creating an NFT from somebody else's work. Other than the fact of if you actually follow the artist and you follow where the and the artist goes, hey, I'm releasing this and it's from a verified social media account or something like that or some type of marketing firm, right? Where then you say, okay, yeah, I know this is a people creation. I know this belonged to him or I know this is a Kings. I know Kings of Leon is selling this and it's not Jason in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can actually say, well, Jason in New York's version is not worth anything, but the one that's coming from officially Kings of Leon is. And that's why it's valuable. So yeah, sure, I can sell content, right? I can I can copy and paste as many things as I want to and try to make money off of it. But now someone can say, well, this isn't the original artwork. This is just you copying and pasting a file. I don't want to pay for that. I don't want to pay for that one. And that's why it's cool. Because before you weren't able to do that. There's no way to verify that you created this. Now right. there is. But the, it's interesting because 
you can literally, the thing that also trips me up, and I think a lot of people, is that in most of these sites that are selling things like a digital image or something like that, you can literally copy the image and have it from that site. Yeah, again, like don't you got to remove yourself from the actual. Yeah, you're buying. You're buying the one. You're buying the number. You're buying the number that's attached to the image. You're buying the history. You're buying the general minting of what this is, because digitally you can copy and paste whatever you want digitally, right? That's why piracy is nonstop. You can't stop it. Is because you can create content and duplicate it a billion times, but what you can't duplicate is that is that assignment, that value to it. You can't duplicate that because then it goes, well, this, is, this isn't valid inside of this blockchain. It's not valid. So it does, it's not accepted, right? The ledger inside of the blockchain has to actually say, hey, this is a genuinely minted thing that has this value to it that's attached to this time frame and person who's done it in these NFT markets. So yeah, you can duplicate it. You can make a Wild West just like you can make, you know, you can, you can make a fake Ferrari. But when you generate, when you get it, when you buy a Ferrari, right? When you buy a car that's from the factory, it's got a VIN number on it. Yeah. And now imagine can't... if your VIN number on your now imagine if the VIN number, if all of that stuff is actually stored on a blockchain somewhere. But you can't, you can't copy and paste a Ferrari. <laughs> that's the difference. I can't right click, download Ferrari, and well, have the same you can't exact duplicate thing. it though. I mean, people have been duplicating art for years without copying. I paste. know, but there's, but there's actually. When you're doing that, there's actually like a physical, tangible difference. Like if you have a painting, right? One of those things was actually painted. If, you're, if it's a forgery, it wasn't painted by the original artist. No, but it could be painted. There's forgeries that are absolutely painted by super talented artists. But it's not. But I'm saying, a, but it's not actually yeah. painted by the physical artist. Where if I, but if, how do you if, know though? And that's the real question. How do you know that it's not? How do you prove that? I I don't personally. And that's my I, point. Is that this you actually can prove? That it's not. That's what makes it interesting. Right, but I'm saying you actually the difference, can track the, and prove it. But the difference between those two things, the asset itself, which is not actually what's being sold. You're not you're not actually buying the asset. You're buying the like the digital signature of the asset. Sure, okay. But so, again, to, that, that is the asset technically. But sure, just because you can copy and paste it, just because it's easier to duplicate Right, because that's what you're saying. It's easy for me to duplicate anything on on the computer. I can duplicate anything and own it, but there's no value to it. You're, you've got to separate the actual content from the value. You can duplicate it; it's got no value. So great, you can download this and enjoy it, right, for your personal enjoyment. Great, enjoy it, right. You can download music and enjoy it. It's got no value to it other than the actual the it, what you're getting enjoyment out of. That's your value, yeah. but that value is not going to increase in financially that's not a financial value that's a auditory value or emotional value but not an actual financial value which is what stuff is getting now by this nft on on ethereum net on ethereum so what are the odds that this is just rich tech bros fucking with people uh the real odds is that it's is that it's money laundering oh okay that's the real (laughs) odd Like that's what most of that's what most I would say. I mean, that's what most of Bitcoin started with. It started with people buying drugs and laundering money because it's decentralized, right? There's no official government that owns a currency, right? So I can turn all of my cash into Bitcoin. And I would say this is early days because it's harder to do this now. But you can turn all your money into Bitcoin. 
And you can pass this around, you can divvy it up, you can transfer it, you can change it by the point zero 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 one of the value, and no one can track that. It's untrackable. I mean, you can track it on the actual ledger, but it's not tracked by a government. It's not tracked by some type of overarching agency that owns it, right? Mm -hmm. You can transfer stuff between people, and it's just numbers and hash keys. The actual ownership of whose wallet is this or whose ID is this, it's it's useless. It's a bunch of random hash. It's unique numbers and hashes. So that is where most of this comes in is that it's decentralized. It's not owned by the U.S. government or by the European dollar or by, you know, the the New Zealand dollar or, or the China, um, whatever the China um, currency is. It's what the – not the yeah. RAND. The RAND is South African. You There's want. some – yeah, is it? Okay. Um, so yeah, like that's, right? Right. You can't track that cash. So again, remember when you yep. take, let's say you want you to turn want. a bunch of US that? money. Right off the top of my head. Boom. Yeah. Let's say if you want to turn US money into yen, right? 100% trackable by both governments. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, technically not. Ethereum, technically, technically not. Now that's changing because how you buy this stuff now, because it's being bought by institutions and, and, um, and exchanges, it's harder. Yeah. But that's generally why this whole decentralized coin and who owns it. Nobody owns it. The network runs itself on a bunch of computers, and all you need is the ledger to exist enough places to verify that this transaction is real. Where with actual cash, right? Who can verify whether or not? I mean, how many fake dollar bills are there circulating around right now? A lot. A lot of fake money. And the government can just print more, right? Hey, things are going bad. Print more money. Where this ideally you can't print more ethereum is a little different because you can grow the network you can you know as a community they can decide that hey we need more coins in circulation but that's why bitcoin is so i mean bitcoin right now i'm looking at the market fifty six thousand five hundred fifteen dollars per coin and there's only a finite amount of them right now if you own i think yeah because there's only 18 million bitcoin out there right i think that's the number that will ever exist and of course, there's all those coins that have been lost and, you know, are at a hard drive at the bottom of a dump somewhere. Yeah, there's 18,652,375 Bitcoin out there in circulation right now. Wow. So that's why it's valuable because you can't just make more. It's not the US dollar. You can't just say, hey, we're going to print more money. So in the same thing with this NFT stuff, you can't. Sure, you can just keep making more art. But if you're an artist, you say, hey, I only have five versions of this that are legit. The rest of them, sure, you can copy them and you can make more Bitcoins and you can make more things, but they're not these five originals that I'm giving you. And then people will pay for those originals. People will pay money to own, hey, I've got, and here's my proof that I own one of these five originals that this artist made and you can track it all the way back and I can sell it and I can transfer it and that's why it's cool because you can't it there's only one of that token that will ever exist where there might be a million of the actual artwork the token attached to it there's only one and there'll only ever be one do you do you have any plan to buy an nft i could afford to right i've got i have invested in cryptocurrency over its existence because i read the the bitcoin white paper and was very impressed and thought it was cool i have no intention of buying nfts it doesn't interest me <laughs> it's enough. cool, but I haven't found anything that I feel worth because I'm very similar, right? Tangibly, Ethereum as an actual coin in a monetary system means more to me than the object, right? Because that to me is much more volatile. While 
a Kings of Leon album might sell for $2.1 million. Today, in a year, it could be seen as 15 bucks. Yeah. Because, right, what it's all on what someone will pay for it. And right now, everyone, NFTs are hot. Everyone wants to jump on it. I think the true value of NFT is more practical. Where right now, owning a clip of LeBron James' first basket is worth an ungodly amount of money as a Top Shot clip. What if Top Shot doesn't exist anymore? Or what if someone else comes along and says, hey, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to call it Shot Top. And I'm going to mint a coin on Shot Top's network. That's LeBron James' first shot. And everyone goes, well, Shop Top is better. I like the interface better. That's worth more than that one. So it's too risky in that way for me, someone who owns, you know, who has been in the actual value of the currency for this. I'd much rather just hold on to the value because I think supporting this way of transferring money is cool and interesting. Cool. And I haven't found anything cool enough that I, because again, all right, I like tangible stuff. I want to see a tangible thing, just like everybody else. I want the tangible thing of it. And I don't think that the the hash that you add to your digital painting is going to be worth that much long term. So it's worth that much now. But is it worth that if I hold on to this thing for six years? Probably not. Might be. And I might be wrong. I might be, I might be misjudging that. It might be worth even more. So that's the gamble of this. That's that's why it's speculation. That's why it's interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. I mean, right now, I it's love kind of a- where this stuff is going technology wise. I think it's super cool. How, how soon until we get a chip in us that's NFT based? Uh, I would say actually identity and stuff that's coming soon. If there's a network that's secure enough and a network that I would not be surprised if there is some system that somebody owns that says hey this is how you can verify your i mean they already kind of do that there's a ways of creating a signature that can verify that you've sent something it's very complicated again the idea of cryptography as a science right Crypto- cryptography has been around for thousands of years i believe it's just we're actually doing this digitally now which is what makes it very cool so i see the practical use cases as in hey wouldn't you love to actually know where your food comes from Right? How cool would that be if you could actually look up a value and track where your food has been legitimately all the way from the minute it was planted into the ground to the time it reached your plate? And you can see where it landed and you can see where it travels and you can see all of this stuff, right? That'd be awesome. Someone is building a cryptocurrency that does exactly that. And so there's lots of awesome real world practical use cases that you can't. You know, you can't fake. You can't have a government that controls and then hides the information from you. It's this open market and it's this decentralized way of sharing information with each other that I that that's what I latch to. And that's why I'm interested in this space. It's not the, hey, let's get rich quick. It's all the other use cases that would be super cool. Yeah. You don't seem impressed by it. You think it's nonsense. No, I... I, I agree with the more on the practical use cases, and I still see this as the impractical use cases. Like I'm even seeing things that make sense. Like I could say, you know, you, you, at Atari, we're doing some stuff with uh, with NFTs, and that stuff actually makes makes sense. Where it because it, you're actually selling you're selling assets in games using NFTs, and that that to me seems a little bit more viable because at least that's a 
that's a unique assets that's in a game that is tangible in a different way. The where where it becomes weird for me is still wrapping my head around why am I paying four hundred thousand dollars for a GIF? You know, <laughs> which is like, again, like I would say, think about I could it. Grab again, that GIF people... anywhere, and I and I get it. I understand what we're saying here, but I think the 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 more interesting use cases. I think this is a way to kind of get people's attention and get that foot in the door. And it's the use cases you're describing are much more interesting and practical use of the technology than what I'm seeing now, which is just like, yeah, I would, even if I, I, I could, I'm saying this to someone who can't afford any of these auctions. I just don't feel like I'm missing anything. See, but that's the interesting thing, right? And this is where I think, some of this stuff has gone a little wayward personally is because we've now assigned US dollar values to cryptocurrency, right? Because there's a market and people are willing to pay for this stuff in cash to buy Bitcoin, right? But really, have they actually spent $400,000? Technically, yes. But there was a point, and I'm going to look at this right now, right? Ethereum today is worth $1,758 per one coin, right? In January 2016, Ethereum was worth 86 cents. So if you got in buying Ethereum in January 2016 when it was 86 cents, and let's say you bought, right, two grand worth, right? So you've got 2,000 coins of Ethereum. And if you bought, and now if you look at that today, right, you've got 2,000 coins because you believed in the tech. And now if you look at today's price, it's $3.5 million. So spending $400,000 on this thing when you've bought, and again, I'm saying you bought 2,000 Ethereum at 86 cents. There's people who bought $10,000 worth of Ethereum at 86 cents, right? So the guy who's buying this for $400,000 is not going into his U.S. bank account and grabbing $400,000 and of this sort of centralized currency that's backed by gold, so you know, so they claim, and no, putting it towards this, it is- right? That, that that that's my point, though, right? If you've adopted this stuff early enough, a lot of people think Bitcoin one day will be worth millions of dollars for one coin. So if you bought that today, if you spent fifty six thousand dollars right now, and in ten years, Bitcoin's worth a million dollars. What's four hundred grand worth of Nyancat? <laughs> like what? It's still, like what's it's the still value, we. Right? It's still the value is still what you equate four hundred, four thousand, four hundred thousand dollars to be. It doesn't matter that what I spent four years ago is what I have now. But again, it does though when you're because looking, you're, when you're comparing it, it, all it things, to all things being equal. Yeah. That perception of the value, we assign the dollars because that's the best way to assign it. For now, that's the best on. way to but assign that, the value. But that's my point, though. That's the best. But way at to the assign same time, but that level, now. but that level would still be the the of level of what? How much did you say uh, an Ethereum is again? Now seventeen hundred bucks. Let's just round up and say it's two thousand, right? So then you're still saying that two hundred Ethereum. So that's not four hundred thousand dollars. It's actually. 200 ethereum right but again 200 so, ethereum but four that, years ago five years ago but that's but that, that that's not, not that's nothing. not the way to look nothing. at right but that's what it is now 
but, but that is the way to look now. at it because my point is is that you that we keep assigning values to what we spend in american dollars right no, but you have to you, you said, value but by like what you said the... that's the best way to do it so when you look at this and go oh he spent four hundred thousand dollars that's crazy you're looking at your bank account in american dollars going i don't have four hundred thousand dollars to spend on nyan cat but what if that's no longer what we judge value by is by some centralized system that a government has told you this is what it's worth. But the agreed upon value is still there. If you're assigning a certain amount of currency now to it, it is. yeah, but For Ethereum it is. being a currency in itself, 200 But that's my Ethereum. point, though, is that we keep assigning this to US dollars, which then assigns all of this very inflated value in No, price but I'm taking it. it away from that. I'm taking it away from that now. Because you could, you, you would still determine... What, so that's what my is, point. Someone spent 200, 200 coins of Ethereum on NANCAT. Yep. Today, because you assign a US do- dollar value to it, it seems crazy. But what is 200 Ethereum? Well, I would say... In the say, actual real world. Right now, it's it's tied to the US dollar. What if you actually buy your groceries in these coins? What if you actually live your life by selling and by you know buying and selling these coins? And it's not actually based on any sort of government printing of money you would still have to have some economy of scale like how much is a jar of pickles in ethereum again whatever someone's willing to buy for it that's that's my general take on all of this is that the value is always relative to what someone is willing to pay for it so to you spending four hundred thousand dollars worth of ethereum is crazy to somebody else spending 200 200 ethereum is nothing right so the value is all relative because they have (laughs) right because you look at it because they've the, got a crazy amount of Ethereum. So that's why right. I just always see. But then that's my point, though. When everyone goes, well, that's crazy. Why would you spend that much money? And it's like, well, that's all relative. That's how much it's worth now. But when this person bought all of this, you can have 100,000 worth of Ethereum. And when everyone was telling you you're an idiot for buying that much Ethereum, why are you buying fake digital money? I mean, same thing with Bitcoin, right? You hear the story all the time. Hey, this guy bought pizza with Bitcoin. That's crazy. He spent 200 Bitcoin on a pizza pizza. That's what it was worth at the time. Right, exactly. That's what it was worth at the time. And I'm not I'm not even talking about inflation. I'm literally talking about what it's worth now. So but you it's always not even, have But that's what I mean though. It, it like goes it's back not, to the I think it's unfair to you judge. go backwards and yeah. say, "Oh, we well, I remember when, you know, hot dogs were a nickel, right? That whole classic thing." Well, they're not a nickel anymore. A hot dogs like 2 bucks. So Right, but but that, see, see how much slower that is? Where now this is I mean, this is like something you've never seen before with a value climb. Exactly. And look, this unique. might also but this might also crash and burn. Yeah. And if you owned Ethereum at 86 cents, what's saying it goes back to 86 cents at some point? No, it might. It very well might, right? It's true. Yeah. So exactly. that's why for me, looking at the US dollar value and being astonished by why are people spending so much money on this, I just think it's disingenuous because if you've been into the technology for a long time. I actually don't think you look at the price, the U.S. dollar. Price I don't. I don't see how you don't. I really I, don't. Hey, look, I own enough of all of this. I don't buy it for the dollar value. I don't. Again, I think that's the problem: is that people equate a U.S. dollar value or a euro dollar value with it. When if you believed in the technology of Bitcoin ten years ago and you bought it and held on to it. I don't think you're necessarily just staring at the price if you actually think that it's got a use case to it. 
and you think in the actual value of Ethereum and you don't always tie it to some centralized currency. Right. You do because you don't you you saw it as fake internet money ten years ago, like like most people did, right? Like and, and not just pointing to you, I'm just saying in general people did. So now all of a sudden when it's worth fifty six thousand dollars, everyone gets astonished by, oh my God, you spent three million dollars. Why didn't you spend three million dollars and do something else with it? To me, it's completely understandable that someone who has bought into this technology and has watched it go up and go down, right, and crash, there's a very good chance that all this stuff crashes. Yeah. But and if you believe in the technology and the real-world use cases, it doesn't matter. The The dollar value, at the end of the day, really doesn't matter if the real-world use case eventually comes to fruition, and then $56,000 in Bitcoin is a nothing. It's nothing. But it, the way it's being distributed, I mean, you you told me yourself about how they're looking at defining things in terms of satoshis, right? Which is kind of like you change a fraction. the yeah, because then it's like well, then because again, so it's you more can break it up that way. You exactly. can break, but again, you and can, why do you break it cool up? About it. No, but again, you can break it up so that way you can share more of it, right? Because yep. there's only 18 million and you own one coin. Who says that at one point someone goes, well, you know, who cares about owning exactly? One coin? So the so you're kind of making my point in that you would still have to have a defined value. I'm not saying it has to be dollars, but it, there has to be a baseline for that. And that's and again, what, that's my point. What is though, the thing is that worth everyone looks based at on a US, good that my someone point would is, buy? I guess my general point is if you're interested in this technology, who cares what the US dollar value is? Yeah, that's but, my <laughs> point, right? Like, no, I'm serious. That's my point. Like, if you actually believe in yeah, sure. this is the way things are going. Spending $400,000 on a gift doesn't mean anything. It means nothing in the grand scheme of what this could be. And that's why it's interesting. And I don't. I think people who actually do look at this and they see the value of it, they don't look at this and go, I spent $400,000 on a gift. That's the point I'm making. I think it's a different perspective of viewing what you're actually spending. I don't think everyone immediately looks at this as a stock market, which is which is what a lot of people do, right? I don't want to say that it's that's not where this is headed. And that's why I go, well, this kind of sucks that then this turns into stocks and reports about it's now worth $60,000. Are you going to well, sell it's it? It's worth $60,000. As well. It's a currency right? exchange. It is again, it can be, but it's not tracked. It's not centralized. It's not right. Like if all of a sudden the US dollar collapses, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Who said four hundred thousand dollars in whatever the whatever the Zimbabwe money is where you can buy a billion dollar bill? I think it was Zimbabwe. It was somewhere in like close to South Africa where you could buy some, you know, it's a billion dollar bill and it's worth pennies. So yeah, I think my point is this it's always easy to get caught up in the US dollar price. If someone's spending four hundred thousand dollars on a gift, that's really stupid. But they're not really spending four hundred thousand dollars on a gift. Like they're not. They're spending the number of this coin, and who knows that at some point this coin is worth millions and millions of dollars. They might have made a super smart investment. You don't know, or maybe they they spent this where they could have cashed out and bought something else, and it was really dumb. But I think people who are in this game, most people, aren't looking at the dollar value. I think they're looking at something else, and that's why people are willing to take the risk. Where other people, I would say yourself, are looking at, well, I would never spend $56,000 on a Bitcoin. That's crazy. If that Bitcoin becomes a million dollars in 10 years, you're going to be like, well, I probably should have bought one. $56,000 is nothing. It's an interesting way to think about this because it's different. I think it turns it on most people's heads because at some point, right, Bitcoin was 100 bucks. Right. But I, I Why still... would you spend 100 bucks on a Bitcoin? That's dumb. It's fake money. 
but now, I still, but I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with any of your premises here, other than the fact that you're getting, you're getting held up on the dollar when no, I'm I getting, think you're getting held up on the dollar. No, I'm not because here. I'm saying that the, the value itself would still have to scale to something. There has to be an agreed upon system to say, what is that worth? So at this point, the only way to within the people who are trading it, because that agreed upon system might be depending on how you break it down. Let me go back to the example, the pickles, just because it's easy, right? Where if I say, if if all of a sudden the dollar disappears and I need to spend Ethereum or Bitcoin to buy that jar of pickles, there would be an agreed upon consensus that would say this jar in the grocery store, that jar of pickles is worth this uh, this amount of in that Bitcoin. specific grocery store at that specific time. Yes, but who right. says you go to a grocery store across the same town as, and it's a different price? But that's the same as any other grocery store, right? The Whole Foods is going to charge more for a jar of pickles than the you know than than the A and P, right? Or Costco or anything else, right? It's all going to be different, of course, supply and demand. But the but there'd be a general consensus that would say a jar of pickles would average around two bucks. But not two bucks, but you'd say it would be whatever that is in Ethereum. Again, it's it's natural. It's easy for me to draw that parallel because well, that's, that well, is well, that's what I'm that saying. Because I think that's the easy thing. and that's what but I mean. Though, and this is it's ten satoshi for that jar of pickles, right? Then all of a sudden, everything scales to that. So if I said, all right, it's ten satoshis, and satoshis are like a fraction of a bitcoin, and then you say, okay, well that jar of pickles is ten satoshi, and this GIF <laughs> is. But, but look though, but the reason why it does bitcoin because I'm looking at the number of coins. Right there are right now over four thousand three hundred twenty-eight coins tracked on Coin Market Cap, and because you keep equating this to one thing. Who says that Ethereum isn't more valuable at this specific location at this specific time than Bitcoin? Could be. It's very well. Possible. And that's my point, though. You're again, like this is my point of like if you think of it outside of the U.S. dollar value, which is what we're all equating to everything now. That's where it gets interesting because there's different technologies built on different, you know, different ideas of how you transfer value within that system. And so if you actually move away from the specific system and actually look towards the technology of how you transfer value, you don't have to just equate this one thing to this one. U.S. dollar sets the premises of how much something can cost. There's a good chance that within our lifetime, this entire system of wealth changes. And that's why it's interesting is because right now there's someone who could have bought a bunch of Bitcoin, uh, you know, who basically is dirt poor and has no money, and that entire system of wealth can change, could completely flip. Sure. Absolutely. So the judging of value is, and that's what I'm saying, if you think of it outside of U.S. dollars is when it gets interesting. That's the only point I'm trying to make. I haven't even mentioned the dollars. I'm talking about the economies of scale. No, but I'm saying, but you're mentioning the dollars as far as, well, that's crazy. Someone spent $400,000 on a piece of thing. But I haven't said that for... Like we started that 20 way. minutes and that's the point but that's that's my point though that's where that started and i think a lot of people i'm bringing this up because a lot of people think that way right why would you spend a u.s dollar value why would you spend 2.2 million dollars on an album that i can copy and paste that's everyone's question and it's a it's a completely valuable question in the current economy of where we live when you go 
to me, an album costs either a ten ninety nine subscription on Spotify, yeah, or a twelve ninety nine CD, right? To most people, then why would I pay two point two million dollars of it? And so that's what I'm trying to explain, because those economies of scale aren't comparable, right? But it would instead be why would I spend what is it two thousand? No, it'd be one thousand. Why would I spend one thousand Ethereum on it? It's the same question. Then that's when you that's could what spend one thousand. But again, because right now you can't trade Ethereum to buy an album at most places, right? You can transfer could. that into U.S. dollars and do it. But you can't one-to-one say, I'll give you this digital thing, one for the other. And so when that adoption happens, the economy of scale, which you're trying to get to, is unknown. Right. But is the economy of scale then saying that an album is worth 1,000 Ethereum? You don't know. And and that's why it's interesting. Is because right now with an NFT attached to it, it's worth that. Right. The and actual album it, itself. It, so my it question changes, is, what is it worth without an NFT attached to it? If you, if I was to start paying for Spotify with Ethereum, if you remove the US dollar from it, who, I, I, I don't know. Who knows? Right. What would they charge? That's and, and that's, that's the why question that needs to be answered. Because right now, but my point is have, though is that right now it doesn't because we don't trade in that stuff yet. When we get to the point where we where we can trade in that, where where it's easy enough to do that. Then the economy of scale, you're trying, to, uh, you're trying to assign a value to it now. What I'm saying, it really has no limit of what, that, of what it could be. Nobody knows. And that's why if you remove the, I need to immediately set a value to it. I need to put a dollar sign in front of something. If you remove that and you look at the technology, it's actually unknown, which should be very exciting, which is why it's cool, because it might be zero, and it might be an unknown, a number that is so beyond our imagination that it changes the entire way that wealth is distributed. That I think that's the only point I'm trying to make, is that if you remove that, I need to immediately assign a dollar value or a value regardless of what the currency is to it, because right now you don't know. It's moving so quickly, and the technology is rapidly changing, right? We talked about proof of work versus proof of stake. What does that do to this value when the people who are buying NVIDIA video game cards to mine stuff, that's no longer valid? That's not a, val- that's not a valid way of, of basically creating wealth anymore. You have to have a proof-of-stake protocol or someone comes up with something new that's not proof-of-stake, right? This stuff is all new. It's super new. And so uh, trying to assign a value to it now and getting shocked by that, it's very natural because you're assigning U.S. dollars to it. But if you remove that from it, it's not as absurd as it would be if you're thinking, wow, I, I make X amount of dollars a year, and I would never take my X amount of dollars a year and put that into something like this to buy a GIF. Right. So, yeah. So, that, that's why I'm, just, I'm trying to get you to think differently, and most people, to think outside of that. And then it's not so shocking, to me at least. Because there's new protocols that pop up every day. What right right now in Bitcoin and Ethereum is, you know, the biggest the biggest price here. Who says that in five years some kid doesn't come up with a new way of of assigning value or creating a, a um, you know a ledger with a cryptocurrency that can be tracked that doesn't make Bitcoin and Ethereum worth nothing? And then that coin is actually where the value is. There's nothing stopping that right now. Yeah. True. So yeah, to me it's cool, and it's it's cool to talk about. Um, there's some weird people in some of these spaces, and there's some real cowboy stuff. 
So you have to be careful because that's that's part of the risk, right? It's sort of the gold rush. It's, you know, there's no centralized place that says, hey, your stuff is safe, right? There's nothing stopping from someone taking your passcode and stealing everything you have, which is what's also going to stop this from actually ever being valid if you can't actually secure it. <laughs> which is why US dollars and things are great, right? It's FDIC insured when you have your money in a bank. When you have your stuff on some digital thing, it's not secured by anybody but you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, it's getting late for this for this stuff. We've, we've gone for a while. You, you started asking questions and I answered them. I guess, Yeah. <laughs> Just guess. because it's not, just because the general. No, you did. I, you no, I'm, it, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm. Look, I, I understand what you're saying. I also don't. It's hard to grasp. It's no, to I, grasp. I get it. I, yeah. I, I, I grasp it. I'm just still. I don't think you've necessarily you you've explained the situation. It hasn't necessarily disproven the things that I'm. No, and I'm not either. saying it's disproven. I'm saying it's going to be very hard for people to understand if you if you. If you keep assign, if you try to always assign this value and be well, this is crazy because that value could change at any moment. Yeah, of course, absolutely, absolutely. Because that jar of pickles you bought today might be worth a million dollars in your mind tomorrow. And right, you say, well, that but was at this dumb. moment, at this moment <laughs> in dumb. time, though, yeah, there is this, there is this perceived value. Yeah, right whether now, you, there is. whether yeah, you yeah, assign that to perceive, dollars or anything else, but it, and if because we perceive that, everything in that, which is why I'm like, well, this is where this gets a little weird, is because if you're putting your, if people are putting things that they could use to eat, because right now you can't eat off of Bitcoin, and right. that's the problem. So you're saying, right? So you're saying if Jack Dorsey's tweet is worth, you know, let, let me do the quick math here. So you're going to carry over a couple zeros. You know, you're saying two point. You know, one point two. I'll do some rounding again. One point two to one point three thousand Ethereum, right? Yeah. If you were that, to take your hard-earned cash in your U.S. bank account and convert it to Ethereum, no, to forget buy it. That, I'm not even bringing that up. I'm just saying, like, yeah. that's the value of that tweet. Okay, cool. What does that mean for everything else in the world? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But <laughs> again, someone can say that's the tweet's more. Point. That's that's tweets ex- worth more than food, or maybe it's less. Maybe someone says, hey, well, now, because that tweet is worth that much, now your jar of pickles is worth that times 10 because you can eat that jar of pickles. <laughs> well, you can't eat the jar. <laughs> you can eat what's in the jar, but you, but can't, you, can but re- you can't do re- anything re- You, you can reuse the jar and right. make your own pickles. Yeah, but you can't look at the tweet. And then next thing you know, you're selling pickles for more than that tweet is worth. But at the time, you spent U.S. dollars to buy that in theory. All right, figure this out. Go, I'm going to leave it to you. You can... and. You know, you could take the profits. Give me five percent. Sell, sell a jar of pickles using NFTs. Yeah, maybe. You make a. Billion. I don't want to figure it out because again, I'm I'm more interested in the tech than the than the. Can I make money off of this? I think that's not even making money. It's, why just, it's making a statement, being like, we're trying to define yeah, the economy again, of scale here. Boom, pickles eh. worth more, worth again, more than for, people. For me, I'm always <laughs> I'm always interested in the tech of a lot of this stuff because I think it actually can if it's applied correctly. You could get rid of a lot of corruption and things that, again, that we might not have or see in first world countries, but you might actually have in third world countries that stops people from prospering. And if you actually change the system, there's a good chance that you change how all of that stuff is perceived. And people who maybe didn't have a chance before were predestined for poverty and pain might not be. Yeah. And that's cool. All right. 
Cool. Agreed. Let's let's do some. <laughs> you, you don't agree, but that's all right. We've talked about this enough. And if you listen to the podcast, you're now probably bored to tears and tired of us talking about it. Media therapy. <laughs> um, Funny enough, this isn't longer than any other podcast. So if you have listened to this, you. <laughs> so. I thought it was an interesting conversation. It's, you know, it's just 1220 at night and I we're, we're just going to keep going in circles here. Um, So, yeah, it's just called controlling the flow terribly. <laughs> But no, I was about I, to I say actually, you. I was about to say you terribly controlled the flow. If that was your point, <laughs> no, I thought I thought that was a, I thought it was a good conversation. I I do find it interesting. I don't like I said. I I just think it's time to move on. It's time to move on. <laughs> Let's do some media therapy. I think that'll be good after that. Uh, there is going to be about an hour and a half of John talking to Arlen about Married at First Sight. It's I don't know if you're a if watcher I'll, of the show and a fan of the show. You should get into it. That'll be in one of two places. It'll be at the end of this episode or it'll be its own independent episode at this time of recording. I have not decided, but we'll see. Either way, that'll be there. It just won't be part of this conversation. Um, so what I what we can talk about as a as a home stretch, though, we could talk a little bit about uh, the queen and the, the racist <laughs> royals and uh and Pierce Morgan would love to talk about that briefly. Uh, but before that, I'm surprised that the royal family is racist. Before that, <laughs> got a bridge to sell you. Before that, I'm going to ask you something. Who's older? The queen. <laughs> the queen? No. Paula Abdul or Paul Giamatti, which is fun because Paula they Abdul's both have Paul. older. I think this is an easy one. I think Paula Abdul's in her 60s. <laughs> Man. Poor, I think. Poor Paula. Is she in her sixties? No, she's not. How, how old is Paula Abdul? I could have sworn she was at least maybe sixty, sixty-one. She's fifty-eight. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like that's no. pretty close now. No, yeah. but the fact that she's in yeah. her, I was like, she's in her sixties. She's sixty, sixty-one. She's, she's like, dancing around. Close. She's dancing around arthritis commercials. So that's why it popped up. I good was for like, her. Oh, yeah, one. yeah. That's not. That was an easy one. Yeah, yeah. Paula Abdul's been around for a long time. All right, fair enough. And still looks great. All right. Well, fair enough. That was an easy one. All right. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what you think about the uh, the racist royals. I mean, I, I mean, if you're surprised by this, like, like where have you been? Like, yeah. Britain is the country that basically controlled the world, mm-hmm. and for you to think that this family that the you know that owns most of the land in Britain and sells it back to the country for a fee and allowing them to live in a fancy house and you know curtsy and eat fancy food. And to think that they are a little irked the fact that someone of mixed race has joined their family. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're surprised by that? Yeah. It's not surprising. Um, I don't know why. I think I'm just shocked that Meghan Markle was surprised that, like, she, I mean, like, fair enough, right? You don't really know until you know. But she was, I think she kind of went into this maybe, and I mean, she would agree, went into this a little naively that just all going to be all good. Right? Like, you're basically blowing... I mean, it's like Barack Obama becoming president. Like, I don't think Barack Obama became president and thought, everyone's just going to love me. This is going to be great. I mean, I'm sure when they talked about him being president, he thought about all the... Off- I mean, he probably thought he could be killed for the simple fact that he's black. So the fact that she didn't really seem to grasp any of that is a little odd. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that makes it... I don't think that makes her uh, at fault, right? I just think... I just thought it was interesting. Um, and I thought the fact that Oprah can still trot out there to, you know, to $5 million and go make an interview interesting 
was pretty cool. Like Oprah still got it. The Oprah, my favorite thing that's come out of the interviews, because it's it's annoyed the hell out of me on CNN that like 20 minutes of every hour has, was allocated to this stuff. I was like, what? Why is this surprising? Like point at, if the news that came out of this that you could be making relevant is more about the mental health stuff. And they did a little bit, but then it was just like, what do you think about these claims about them being racist? Can you believe it? It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah a bunch of old white people. They're racist. It's fine. It's fine. We've, we've known about this. I mean, um, even, but the, even besides the race stuff though, like it's interesting. The fact that, I mean, it's very clear that the death of Diana has completely shaped, I mean, as it should, right, has shaped Harry's life. And everything that he views and sees is through that lens of his mother dying in that tunnel. And this is basically that as well. I think this was a guy who saw his wife going through the same struggles that his mother went through and decided this wasn't going to happen again. And I, I find that just extremely fascinating that, you know, Diana, you know, she was divorced. She was dating. You know, there's the rumors about you. She was dating the this this guy from the I believe he was from the Arab Emirates or some, you know, like, again, oh, the, the, you know, he's she's brought such shame to the royal family and the paparazzi are following her around and she's trying to escape. And it's not that story is not too different from this one. And the fact that Harry is in both of those that he decides now. Nah, this isn't worth it. I can't lose my wife the same way that I lost my mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I look. I was fascinated by what's around it. I thought like the fact that the British people are all offended by it. it I find hilarious. Like yeah, you guys are awful human beings. You always have been. Um, and sorry that someone is able to say yeah. Guess what? The British are kind of awful. I mean hell, I walk around New Zealand. It's full of what? What's it full of? A bunch of British heritage. My own heritage full, full of British heritage, right? From slavery to you know, um, you know, mass executions, all the awful things in history. The British are just as responsible as the of them as any other culture. Did so you, for you to be surprised is a little weird. Did you watch the Piers Morgan thing? I watched him walk off when that guy was kind of telling him, like, I think you're being kind of unfair. And he goes, nope, I'm out. (laughs) He just got up and walked away. Well, he was talking so much shit about Meghan Markle for, like, a couple days after the interview. Like, this is slander. This is crazy. That Jesus, he's just going to go off there and just talk about the royal family like this. This is is some good stuff. And, and, And she didn't say any names. Why didn't you say any names? Like, just going off the rails and then anytime anybody would say anything like hey man don't you think it's like no 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 no, i'm not done let me let me just tell you that this is slander this is just bad this is and no i don't think i don't think they're racist <laughs> even though i'm i'm only criticizing the black woman <laughs> like this is it was and madness and then they and finally were like hey, that, man, how much of yeah you're kind of being a dick and he's like no no you know what i'm not being a dick i'm out of here screw you guys going home how much do you think of that was just for show? Like like just him playing a playing a character or do you really think that he felt like I think it's a bit of both plays it up. Yeah. Right? Like I mean, it's a lot of the secret of this podcast, right? I don't ever feel super strongly about anything that I do, but if me and Jason agreed on everything, it wouldn't be interesting, right? He could he but, might be he might be one of those true believers. He might be, which is why it's even a little scary. And he is he does have that abrasive like he was a Trump supporter, I think. It's crazy that he used to be on CNN. I find that wild. He took he took uh, Larry King's spot. 
He Thank used to God argue we... about gun control all the time. And be like, yeah. You Americans just don't understand gun control, gun control. And then he kind of turned into this. <laughs> yeah, he digs in. Like, he, he digs his heels in and won't necessarily let a word in edgewise. So, yeah, I I think this is just who he is. And he just got triggered as I think there is part of that true believer aspect to it. You're a but fan like, of the old the ways, true... it, the holier than thou yeah. royal families, which is nuts because they're just there. Like they're just they're but just the there f- to be rich. <laughs> and like quite frankly, the way that they explained it is that it is a cult. Right? Yeah. When you ha- when you can call something the firm or the institution of the royal family. I mean, that's a cult, right? Like like where they protect Andrew, right? Andrew is a I mean, he's pretty much conf- I mean, it's confirmed, but it's also highly speculated that he's a pedophile. Oh, and he Jeffrey was on Epstein some of these stuff, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein things. And what the royal family basically said, for being a member of this cult, we protect you. And yeah. the minute that Harry sort of says, hey, I can't have my wife part of this cult, it's very clear that they completely removed him of everything and said, well, if you're not going to be part of the family, then you get nothing. Now, Except to be fair, they're getting plenty and, for yeah, being part be of, yeah, they're getting plenty from being part of that, even excommunicated from it, right? They're going to be very, I cry no tears for them financially. No, they'll be fine. Um, but, I mean, when you think about family and all, like, it's not a family, like, it's not a super supportive system for this royal, you know, a, a woman who's been queen for over, I mean, she's been queen since the 50s, right? Yeah, she's she's old. So that's like 70 years of being sort of the figurehead of this cult. Like, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> like, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah, I found it interesting. I mean, it's silly because I think Americans in general think the royal family is silly. But the response from Britain, I mean, look, it's not like there's not Africans and black people in Britain and people of mixed race in Britain. So I wonder how they feel about basically being told oh you're just imagining things racism doesn't exist in the royal family it doesn't exist in britain how dare you like they've got to be walking around going are you sure because it sure feels like it exists and i you know i'm down the street from buckingham palace so i think as americans we can sort of go meh yeah we always knew it is but i i'd be interested to talk to someone who's from african descent in britain and see what they think my my favorite thing that's come out of the interview though are the uh are the memes with Oprah's reactions. Yeah, I mean Oprah is they are like, they are excellent. <laughs> They're probably one of the especially the one with her two hands up. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like again, like when they sort of said when they like I think she that happened when um when she said that someone asked about what color would the baby be or how dark would the baby be. Yeah. Um that Oprah's just like what like oh no like this is yeah i mean but it's oprah right oprah's never gonna change oprah's gonna oprah's gonna be this way until the end of time yeah yeah but it's just so good the the pictures are so great it reminds me of the um the jonathan swan trump interview where he's like looking at notes and then trump shows him a piece of paper and he's just like looking at it like what is this piece of paper and the amount of things that people put on it are they're just excellent the meme economy is real you want to talk about real value in this country? It's the fucking meme economy. Oh, people are going to start. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. There'll be coins to some to some meme soon. That's coming. Oh, it's already there. Like, go to the. Uh, the yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, look, the Royal, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't, do you, and this is the question that people have asked here, is do you think that they'll, I mean, I, I know that from my, again, I work in a very multicultural place. I live in a country that is still part of the Commonwealth of England, right? So there's a lot of British culture and things that have, I mean, between fish and chips and pies and all the crap that, I mean, British people, their food sucks. Um, but do you ever think that in our lifetime that they will dissolve the monarchy of Britain? Um, one would hope, right? right? You'd think so because at some but, point, right? Queen Elizabeth is going to die. I mean, and maybe if she doesn't, then that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, within gotta, the next, let's say within the next 10 years, because she's how old? I believe she is 96 or 97. Let's see. Right. I believe Queen Elizabeth 94. is 94, right? So if she makes it another 10 years, that is that is a blessing beyond compare, right? That's way above and beyond. And the usefulness of the of the royal family, I mean, I think, and talking to my friends who are British, say every like they're real careful to not say things about like the queen didn't come out and say much about Brexit, if you noticed, right? She didn't tell you whether she was for or against Brexit. Yeah, they're kind of apolitical. Well, because there's a reason for that. Because the minute they become political, someone goes, "Huh? Why do we have this?" And if you shut up, people just go, oh, well, look, at that's just grandma. And grandma walks around and, oh, that's the mother, the queen mother. And they just kind of leave it alone. But when people start questioning, hey, why, why does she exist? Why do we have a bunch of these old white people in this big ass house and we let them do what they want? That's dumb. Why don't we get rid of that? Why does this exist? I think it's coming. I think once the queen goes and depending on who becomes king, right, because it's either... What? It's either Charles, either it goes to Charles or it goes to um what's the dude's name? Why am I forgetting his name? It's not Philip. Philip's her husband. Charles. Once it goes to Charles, right? Because Charles is next in line to be king when she dies. And Charles at this point is in his seventies, right? Charles is up there. Charles is, yeah, Charles 72. is next in line. He's seventy two. And there's a good chance that Charles goes, you know, ah, too old to be too old to be king. And it's gonna go to it's so gonna, Charles gonna go is to next, then then Prince William, then George, and then William's kids, yeah, who's six, yeah. So <laughs> so there's a good chance that this sort of dissolves. I think you know there's some. I mean, people even here in New Zealand, it kind of always brings up, hey, why are we part of the Commonwealth, right? Like, do we need to be part of the Commonwealth? Like, how much does Britain really do for Australia and New Zealand? I mean. Not much. If it's, I mean, in the last year, it was probably better to not be affiliated with them. Yeah. So, and with Brexit, right? Brexit makes it harder to do stuff because Britain sort of isolates. So, I just find it interesting that at some point we will question, just like we've done with all monarchies. I mean, people forget that France was a monarchy until they started beheading people, <laughs> and then that changed. So, yeah. Anyways, it's interesting. It's a. It was an interesting piece of media for the week um, to see Oprah get trotted back out there and. Do what Oprah does best. Well, she did a good job. Yeah, did agreed. It. I thought she did a good job, and uh, I know Oprah's had a couple of weird interviews over the last decade, and people go, "Hmm, it's a little odd, Oprah." Because didn't Oprah talk to Michael Jackson once? She's talked to some people that you'd be like, "Oh, Oprah, this is a little odd." She talked to a what lot of people. Doing? She talked to Tom Cruise jumping on the couch. Yeah, she talked. She used when her show started. She used to talk to the KKK. 
And she was like, that's one of the biggest regrets in my life of giving them a platform on my show. Wow. What was the yeah. intent? Well, it was back when it was more, when her show was a bit more, you know, Jerry Springer. And not saying it was Jerry Springer, but it had a bit more of that vibe. Instead of helping women and empowering, it was, she was doing a talk show, right? So it's like, bring on the KKK and ask them, why do you hate me? <laughs> right? Like that type <laughs> of stuff versus bringing on people to talk about their interesting life story on the Oprah show, right? It's just, it's, she changed over time and realized she was much more influential being positive, so to speak, than trying to solve negative issues. Yeah. Don't remember those days, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to those people. <laughs> yeah, not, I wouldn't either. <laughs> not, not top of my list. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Um, yeah, he's abroad.com. Go there, subscribe, rate. I mean, if you made it this far, you obviously like it or yeah, just, exactly. And sorry, you for just the, couldn't reach for the, the for the cryptocurrency rant for however long that was. I thought it was interesting. Uh, but that was interesting what? too. But some people might hate it. <laughs> well, fuck those people. How about that? Huh? <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm going off the rails. I'm turning hostile. Come at me. Give me those one star reviews. I dare you. How about any reviews? Five stars would be great. <laughs> but if you want to give one star because you hated the crypto talk, you know what? I appreciate your honesty. And yeah, do that on iTunes. Uh, but Maybe we should start selling the episodes of this podcast as an NFT. That's Maybe a worth good, me. good idea. <laughs> Has it happened yet? Joe Rogan hasn't jumped on that train yet? It's coming. It's coming. Might as well beat him to it. Figure out how to do it. Give me 5%. Till next week, you go listen to wherever the hell I put that other stuff. And uh, this podcast (laughs) is over. Wow. (laughs)